0: What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host Rafael Machewski, and today is going to be a compilation episode. But I'm going to chat just at least a little bit about the topic before we get into it. Um, this whole kind of idea came through a recent podcast that I was on, and it should be coming out either in September or November, but. Um, we're going to talk about the importance of assessment. So I've done two episodes on this already, but I kind of wanted to add a little bit more to kind of complete the series. So the first episode that I pulled up was episode 289, which I recorded back in 2019. And I go over the functional movement screen and why it's important, what it looks at, and what information it gives me um, when creating a program and helping someone move and feel better. Um, The second one um, is probably a year old. Yeah, probably a year old. Um, And I kind of take bits and pieces of the assessment that I created in my first ebook. And then there's a couple of the assessment movements from Um, my newest book, The Ironclad Body Training System, Volume 2. Um, If you haven't purchased that and downloaded it, you should definitely hit the show notes and do that. Um, But what I wanted to kind of add on is not only the importance of getting an assessment done before training, but figuring out what exercises you should and shouldn't be doing and a lot of people that you know i take on as clients i always ask them you know two things number one have you had a trainer before they all say yes and then i ask them well why aren't you with them right now and it's usually either two things once again one they had a bad experience two they never saw the result that they were looking for so that already tells me that my industry needs so much work you know like For some weird reason, and this is what I talk about in my mentorship all the time, when it comes to trainers, just in general, for some odd reason, we're all in competition with each other, which is like really, really fucking weird to me because we're in the fitness industry to help others. So wouldn't it be in your best interest to not look at other trainers as competition, but people that are following the same core value that you are? And that can be a freaking whole nother freaking episode on that. But um, one, my industry needs a lot of work. But we're a fairly young industry if you really think about it. But again, that's another topic. Second is that just tells me that a lot of people have no idea what they should or should not be doing. And for some odd reason, when it comes to exercise, everyone just assumes that they can do everything that their friend can do, what they see on Instagram, and so forth. That's like you watching some sort of, like, professional dancer, and because they're moving their body, you're like, I can do the same thing. But we, you and I both know that we cannot do what a professional dancer can do with their bodies. Like, let's be real. We just have our two-step when we're drunk and that's it. (laughs) Right? Exercise is the same thing. If you want to get to that level of professional dancing, it takes time and there's steps to it. If you want to be able to do an Olympic lift, there's steps to it. But For some reason, you do a class or you join a boot camp and there's advanced exercises and you just assume you can do it. And you think that your body's doing the movement but is doing a very half-assed job That is creating more harm than good so now imagine if instead you went to this fitness place that you're gonna exercise in and someone decided to do a thorough assessment and could tell you like hey maybe when you train don't do overhead stuff maybe stay away from things like a back squat for now and do these things instead and you'll see success that seems like a pretty you know fair um plan but for some odd reason any person that i've ever took on as a client that went down the trainer route they've never been assessed so they're doing things that the trainer just makes up and hopes for the best and that approach doesn't get you anywhere so if i had a clear plan a clear RIN program that is based on my abilities and have clear goals of what things I want to do, then that's probably going to work out a lot better. Now imagine if the average person, nowadays everyone has something that hurts. Now everyone's had a previous injury. A low back episode, a knee that flares up when they decide to hike and it goes and they, you know, hike for too long, or an ankle that always gets rolled over, or an old shoulder injury because they used to play softball in high school and then did a partial tear and then they just let it heal on its own. We all have our history. And that was the major thing that I spoke in the podcast um, this past week was, When I do an assessment, before I even um, get into the assessment portion, is I want to know your history. I want to know everything up until this point that you're sitting in front of me. Because it's very imperative that your past history has an influence on what you're going to do in the gym with me or in a kin stretch setting. So an example that I always give, I always make the joke in my um, assessment is like, okay, tell me every single injury you've had since the age of three. And then the older uh, population that I work with, they start laughing and they're like, oh, how much time do you have? And like that comment already, I already know that they've tried so many different fitness regimes and they couldn't get successful because of their history. And like how long does it take to just ask that question to know the previous things that has happened to this individual before you even put a program together? Not that very long. And an example is like, you know, sometimes I'll have people that come in or like, okay, well I roll my left ankle all the time. Like I've had so many injuries to it. And if I had to put a number on it, it's maybe like eight or nine. And some of them were really bad and some were like, okay. And I was able to walk after a couple weeks. And then that person would also say that, oh, and my right hip is like super sore and stiff all the time, and I don't know why. So now as I'm writing all the history down, I'm like making all these little dots that I'm going to connect at the end of the assessment. And a lot of times it's like, okay, we have this weird left ankle that's always unstable and has this weird pattern of rolling and now your right hip hurts and you have no explanation why you never directly injured it well it's like okay well your left ankle's the one that's always injured so you're probably going to be changing your gait when you're injured and a lot of pressure is probably going to go into that hip and then we continue to talking about our history and they're like yeah and then my like si joint is out all the time on my right side and i've been going to physio and chiro for it and it's not like really helping and that com is not supposed to sound like physio and chiral doesn't work. It's more so the aftercare that people tend to miss out on. And that again is another topic that I could talk about, but taking all that information and then going into the assessment is huge for creating a program. And if you've never had something this thorough, that's the reason why you're not successful. That's like you wanting to save enough money for a retirement, and you go to a financial planner and they're like, Yeah, like save a hundred bucks a month and you should be good. And like, not even talk about any of your past experiences, look into your credit score, look into how much debt you have, or if you own any businesses, or if you've lost your job multiple times, or any other background other than just save money and you'll be good. Just exercise, you'll be good. It's the same shit. So I'm going to stop blabbing and um, get into this compilation video, but I just wanted to kind of, can't even speak today, Um, get back to the point of why assessments are important. And sometimes all I need from the assessment is past history. But in these two episodes, we're going to go into deeper conversations of Specific movement assessments and what they kind of show me and what I gather from it. Um, if you have any questions about um, assessments, let me know. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, next goal now is 500. I'm at 415 subscribers, so almost there at 500, kind of. So if you can. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel, help me grow this thing so I can reach more people, that would be amazing, Um, and share this podcast, so let's get right into it, here we go. Hello boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit, I'm your lovely host Rafael Matuszewski, and as promised, this solo episode is going to be an actual presentation that I've done a handful of times, and... This also serves a great purpose because I need to record this for my mentorship. So today's topic is assessments and more specifically the functional movement screen that I use with every single client that I've ever trained in my entire career essentially. And I'm basically going to explain why I use it, why I think it should be the gold standard for every coach. And then when you get really, really um, comfortable with this one, that's where I encourage people to kind of branch out to other assessment tools out there and figure out the best way for yourself. And I know in the industry there is a lot of debate of why the FMS is not the gold standard, but at the same time I find that these people are more criticizers than actual people that you know, improve our industry in the whole so when you look at the functional movement screen and what it's done in over two decades now um, it's honestly laid a foundation for so many other fitness professionals out there and if someone can point me in the direction of a company that's created an assessment tool like the FMS that have paved the way and has explored movement like no other person out there, I'm waiting. (laughs) So without further ado, we're going to go into the functional movement screen, how I use it, and get to a point where um, we'll look at the overhead squat, and that's where I'll stop maybe or go a little bit further. We'll see how we do on time. And if anyone wants to learn more specifically of each movement, um, I can send them... A link to the actual presentation I gave in person. So for those listening, I am going off slides, but I'm going to try to depict a beautiful picture for you listeners and those who are watching over YouTube. Enjoy the show. So functional movement screen. Here we go. We're going to go over the history of the FMS and it all starts with this guy, great cook and not this guy grizzly adams so if you're listening i have a gif image of grizzly adams close up where he looks exactly like great cook and he's just nodding away um that's another thing to realize is the way i present i put in a lot of funny gifs and memes and things like that and that's how I create presentations. I start off with funny memes and GIFs and then work the information around those things, but in this one I don't put a lot because heavy on information. So who is um, Gray Cook? Well, easy enough, he's a physical therapist, he's an author, speaker, strength coach, and the creator of the Functional Movement Screen, which we are going to go over today. And. He started the foundation and process of creating the FMS back in 1998, and the premise was to place a standard on movement. So. He was kind of frustrated in physical therapy school where there's all these different orthopedic tests. And a lot of them will, you know, test internal rotation of this joint, external rotation of this joint, and blah, 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 blah. But it never translated to human movement and how the body worked when you placed exercise upon it. So, a good example is if someone doesn't have enough internal and external rotation of their hips, their back squat is going to be kind of all over the place. But maybe that same individual, when you place them under a barbell and you know they have terrible internal rotation of their hip, but for some reason their squat looks good. Why? Right? So, this is the struggle that he had, and quite beautifully, he created this screen that would translate directly to what you did on the gym. Then he wrote a book about it called Athletic Body and Balance, I think in 98, 99. And this was kind of the first adaptation of um, the FMS. And then he also wrote a very thorough book called Movement where he goes, and, um, goes in great detail of what the functional movement screen is and the SFMA, which is the practitioner version of the FMS, which we'll get into, but essentially, um, if you want to know the ins and outs of the functional movement screen, the book Movement is highly recommended. Um, It's a little bit more on the science side, but I've actually had a handful of clients that are interested in training that went down the route of buying the book and we're kind of floored with like holy crap like this all makes sense um some other good resources um gray's done a lot of dvd um presentations and collaborations and he's done one with greg rose who's a chiropractor and he's the co-founder of um TPI, which is an abbreviation for the Titleist Performance Institute, so the TPI actually has their own assessment that Gray and Greg Rose uh, came together with, along with other fitness professionals and therapists out there in the industry to create a specific assessment for golfers, and that assessment alone is freaking amazing. So the cool thing about that, it's a pass or fail for each movement, and each movement Depending on what you've um, failed, will have a correlating swing fault. So, even before I see a golfer swing, I already know what they're doing. And I always give this example where, when I try to explain what it is, so say they failed four things out of the assessment, and then I go, hey, you know, based on your assessment, you early extend and sway to the right, and your ball slices to the left every time you swing. And they're like, oh my God, how, how did you know? It's just. The freaking assessment. This is where I think a lot of coaches miss out. Like, this is where I don't understand why so many coaches train clients without doing a thorough assessment. It's like, how do you know what to do with the individual? Like, it almost makes you more of a professional being prepared going into the session if you know X, Y, and Z about your client and what exercises are going to help promote better movement patterns and getting people out of pain right like this is probably one of my biggest pet peeves in the industries when i hear coaches that don't have an assessment form and again i don't care if it's the functional movement screen or something you made up or something you stole from somebody else at least have something to figure out what direction you're going to go in when you're training clients bam rant over so Another couple people that he's collaborated with: Dan John Lee Burns. So Dan John, if you don't know who he is, I've had him on my show early, early on. Um, he's been a strength coach for 30, 40 years, and he's adapted a lot of the teachings of Gray Cook, how to assess athletes, how to make them stronger, faster and without fucking up their joints. Uh, Lee Byrne is the co-founder of the Functional Movement uh, Company, and it's also another physical therapist, really, really smart guy, another person you should definitely follow. Um, and then another person that he's collaborated with, Alan Cosgrove. So if you don't know who the Cosgroves are, Alan and Rachel um, are a couple out in California that has a gym, That is called Results Fitness, one of the best gyms in America when it comes to clients' results and running a successful business. So anyone listening that is a coach that wants to learn about business and how to run a gym effectively, listen up to the Cosgroves. I've had Alan on my show before, so definitely check out that episode. And two other smart, really, really really smart people that Gray has collaborated with and they are Dr. Stuart McGill, which I've had on my show. I was floored with the information that he was giving me and to you guys. Um, highly recommend that you check him out. Top researcher when it comes to spine mechanics and what happens to the spine during exercise and movement. And then another uh, therapist, Greg Levinson, another really, really smart guy when it comes to human movement, movement, assessing movement, Everything. So, Greg Cook, Stuart McGill, and Greg Liebenson, Greg Rose, those guys follow everything they do because they are going to fast-track your career. And if you are just a regular Joe, they are going to save you a lot of trips to physical therapists if you are training into the gym. Man, that was a lot. So, going back to the history of the FMS, I always start with this quote, motion is life. I really, really love... The same because it makes a lot of sense. Like our bodies are designed to move, right? When we don't move, things don't work that well, right? I always make the um, stupid joke to patients that if you don't move a joint like it's designed to, if you don't use it, you'll lose it, right? Your body is a very smart machine when it realizes that, hey, you haven't moved your hip past 90 degrees because you sit all day, I'm going to take away that ability because it's energy sucking for you to squat below 90 degrees because you have not placed that stress. So now when you go into your gym and everyone's squatting ass to grass and for some reason you are getting stuck in 90 degrees, it's because your body's adapted to that. So I always go back to this quote, like our bodies are meant for movement. The more we move, the better we're going to get at as human beings. You know, so when Gray was looking at this um, screen idea, he wanted to create a standard for movement. And he wanted to base it off of, like, you know, you go anywhere in the world, and when they screen for hypertension, we use a blood pressure cuff, right? Like, that's a standard across. And when he started this, um, process is trying to figure out like what movements should be part of the screen to standard a standardized movement so when you start thinking about as us humans like what do we do from a developmental stage right so if you look through what a child goes through from birth until it's starting to walk, there are certain stages, right? If you start thinking about it, you know, you start with neck control, you start rolling over, then you start crawling, then you start kneeling, squatting, standing, climbing, and then eventually you start running, like locomotion, right? So I love using this picture I have of basically a baby going into uh, a toddler where they, develop. So if you think about how a baby starts off, they're lying on their back and then they go into a prone position where they're on their bellies. And if you think of what happens first is that they develop a really, really strong um, control of their neck and all those muscles that control neck movement. And then they end up learning how to roll over. So if you think of what applies to rolling it's a lot of core stability that's required in order for a child to roll over and then you get into like a quadruped position as a child and what are we developing there we're developing a lot of shoulder stability shoulder strength hip stability hip strength and then we get into crawling we got that reciprocal opposite arm opposite leg that is already translating to how we're gonna start walking and running and then we go into a sitting position like now we're developing movements that are kind of similar to how we squat right and from there we go into kneeling positions and then eventually Um, that child is going to learn how to get into a half-kneel position, stand up, go into squatting positions. They're going to start standing up straight. They're going to start walking. And now you have a little guy running around, right? So this was kind of the basis, kind of the brainchild of what the functional movement screen became. So I get this question a lot is what can the FMS do? Right? So if you think about what the FMS screen allows you to do, it's designed to capture pain before exercise. Right, So I think this was done so beautifully because so many times when you train somebody, they've had a history of injuries, car accidents, joints that are stiff, joints that are achy and pissed off. And wouldn't it make more sense to know all those things beforehand when designing a program? Right? Like, say you started exercising and you want to put in shoulder press, for example, because everyone at the gym does the shoulder press. But if you have a joint that's achy, you pressing overhead on a joint that's not functioning the way it should be, it's probably not going to feel good afterwards. And it's probably not going to feel any better a month from now if you were consistently pressing overhead. So this almost becomes like a risk management tool. So when I get someone in and I ask them, tell me all your injuries that you've had in your life, most of the time people are not gonna tell you anything. They're gonna be like, you know what, no, I'm good. There was one time I rolled my ankle and that's it. But as you start doing this screen, When things don't feel right, don't move right, there's pain captured, they go, oh well, actually I did tear my rotator cuff and never rehabbed it. And you're like, okay, here we go. So now you write down on your little sheet for the FMS that I'll talk about soon is, all right, this person has a torn rotator cuff back in 2004, never rehabbed it, and now we're not gonna do any pressing overhead. And I'm going to get into that as well. So the other thing, too, that a lot of people make the mistake is that the FMS is not a musculoskeletal evaluation. It's not an orthopedic test. It is a screen for movement. So many coaches that do end up going into the FMS, when they look at certain movements, they overanalyze, overthink, and be like, well... The hips were doing this thing. The toe was going out a little bit. It's definitely this muscle and that muscle not firing at the same sequence and blah, 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 blah. No, it's just a screen for movement. Can the person do it or not with efficiency? So I always tell people, especially coaches that are starting out, you are not a chiro or a physio or any kind of therapist or medical professional out there to decide whether or not a joint is whatever medical term you want to give it because the shoulder mobility test presented this. It is just a screen that will allow you to rate and rank movement patterns. And if there's any kind of dysfunctional pattern, which is you know, if you know a shoulder that is able to press overhead, you would ideally think that their bicep would be able to be right beside their ear and not like at a 90-degree angle like you're bench pressing while standing. Um, and if there's any asymmetries, because you'll see this in the FMS2s, that say one shoulder has really, really good mobility, and for some reason the left side terrible, not even comparable to one side. So now you have all this new information of how this person's um, – Body's functioning. And then this is the big one you're not able to diagnose anything from the screen. Just because someone scored super, super low or just failed every single thing, you can't say, hey, because you did this, you have X issue with your joint. No, it's can they do the movement or not? So, what you're able to do with the functional movement screen is identify pain, how the movement looks. If there's any dysfunctional patterns and asymmetries so with that being said when you have this information you can now sort of create a blueprint for yourself or for um, a client that you want to train so when you think about it um, when there's a dysfunctional or asymmetrical pattern um, found in the client they usually will have a higher risk for injury so this is where the fms gets a lot of let's say flack or like people arguing that hey the fms can't predict people having injuries yes i get that and the research is not the greatest on it but if someone's shoulders t-spine hips and every other joint in their body doesn't move as well as, say, someone that has no issues whatsoever and they go through the FMS like nobody's business, I would probably predict the person with terrible joint mechanics is probably have a higher chance of injuring themselves, especially in a gym setting when they have no idea how to move their body, right? So if you take off um, the whole debate whether or not the FMS can predict injury, the FMS is definitely a good route to go down if you want to have a baseline of how people move and what you should do with them, right? So when people don't follow it's kind of like the FMS flowchart of movement and how to improve movement quality, essentially what happens is when you go to the gym and you're following a program that you downloaded or bought from a coach that's not specific to you because they've never done an assessment on you or you found a magazine and you're going to do a workout called you know, six weeks to a bigger chest, what you're doing is essentially building strength over dysfunction. And what that means is you're going to end up Injured or having a more achy joint than it should be. And I use this analogy all the time where you're basically throwing grenades and hoping for the best. Most people don't know how to program for themselves or for others. So at least if you are well rehearsed in how the FMS works, you have somewhere where you can start. So if you think about it, if movement, any movement is dysfunctional and you're building on top of it, Whatever you're building—strength, endurance, hypertrophy—it's going to be flawed and compromised, right? So I use this analogy a lot, where, um, you know, you're hitting a square peg in a round hole constantly, and eventually something's going to snap, break, chip, whatever. So what I try to convince to new trainers is that. You know, we should consider movement deficiencies first before we develop power, strength, or flexibility, or whatever the goal is. If you know someone's shoulder doesn't move the way a shoulder should, wouldn't you want to improve that joint before you start slapping 225 on a barbell? Something's going to give, right? If you are not good at being a human being, when you try to do exercise, you're not going to do too well. Remember, exercise is a human invention because we don't move as much as we did back thousands of years ago, right? Even athletics, like our shoulder joint is not designed to throw a baseball 30,000 plus times a year without any kind of compromise to the joint itself, right? So we need to look at what's deficient in our bodies first and create a base and focus on the fundamentals and not super sexy exercises that we find on Instagram and Facebook. right? If you want to win the game on feeling and moving better and getting strong and getting lean, following the protocol from the functional movement screen is a way to go. So if you translate this to how people want to lose weight, For example, and you take them through the functional movement screen and they're a disaster, but their whole goal is to lose weight and you tell them, hey, you can't do X, Y, or Z for exercises right now, but they don't feel like listening to you. They'll get to a certain point where something has to give and your body tells you to F off and now you have an injury and you have to stop going to the gym. And we all know when it comes to successful weight loss, it's the long game. So now when you go back into this whole rehab and movement world, it kind of coincides and almost becomes the partner to successful weight loss and fat loss. Because if the body moves the way it should, you can continue exercising. Like I don't understand why people don't put two and two together. But this is where as us coaches, we need to come together and... Educate and people should know that your joints need to move well in order to do exercise so There's a system how the FMS works. So there is a FMS level one certification that teaches you how to use a screen and how to interpret it and Kind of starts off of how and what to do afterwards. And then they have the FMS level two, where it goes over corrective strategies, how to improve people's um, mechanics when it comes to movement. And then, like I um, uh, mentioned earlier, uh, there's a therapist version called the SFMA. Um, So that essentially is looking at the FMS and breaking it apart even further. So if someone's overhead deep squat, was terrible and had pain, now you can go to a therapist that's certified in SFMA give them your results and they already know where to go and it's gonna start breaking down the pattern of what's going on and they can figure out and diagnose what the issue is and now relay the information back to the trainer of what you should do and not to do, and also give some suggestions on exercise selection. So now you have created this team around the client and now becomes really, really specific to the person. right? So it almost is a disservice to any client out there that we don't do this for them. Like we need to create a baseline on movement to help our clients move and feel better. Bam, all right. So the screen itself has seven tests, and it's broken up in two parts. So if you look at it, there's primitive movement patterns and higher-level movement patterns. And they also break it down into basic stability and mobility movement patterns of something called reciprocal reach pattern and supine alternating leg raising pattern. We'll go into depth in this later, but essentially when you look at... um, how we go back to that example of uh, baby developing, Um, there is a reaching pattern that babies will do when they're on their bellies, and that also kind of translates into them rolling and eventually like playing around with their feet and trying to raise their legs, and that's developing core hip stability, Flexibility, everything you name it. Now, from there, it goes into transitional movement patterns that require a higher degree of stability, coordination, movement quality. Um, those go into things like the trunk stability test, the push-up pattern, and any kind of quadruped uh, rotational stability pattern. I know this is a lot of information, but it all will make sense in the end. Now. We get into higher level movement requirements, things like squatting, lunging, and stepping. But all those things I just mentioned are like the small little foundational things that we need in order to do things like squatting, lunging, and stepping. So if you look at how a baby develops, like, is someone proficient in actually lying on their back and doing an exercise? They haven't probably exercised in two decades because they've been sitting at a desk um, working as an accountant or on their computer or whatever so now they almost lost that ability to do those simple things but everyone goes past those things that we need as human beings and they go into the higher level movement patterns like squatting, lunging, and stepping, and then you wonder why people's knees buckle in when they squat or when they lunge, their quads are super tight. So all those little things that I've mentioned earlier is what we need as a foundation to move ahead to the things that we all want to do. So the seven patterns in the FMS goes as follows. We have the squat, the hurdle step, inline lunge, shoulder mobility, active straight leg raise, the trunk stability, push-up, and rotary stability. So breaking this down a little bit further, the squat, hurdle step, and inline lunge demonstrate a core stability in three essential foot positions as us humans experience on a daily basis. And in the FMS community, we kind of refer to them as the big three, and they require the most um, course belly, coordination, motor control, you name it. Like those are the three that you need to be able to function really um, highly at in order to move without, you know, pissing off any kind of joints. Now, if you look at the other four, um, they kind of refine informa- information when you place the body. Um, under any kind of load or movement, and they interact upon each other to help identify weak uh, weak links in movement patterns. So if someone's big three, which is the squat, hurdle, step, and inline lunge, have some weird, funky stuff happening, you look at the other four tests to determine what's going on, because it kind of paints a bigger picture and goes a little bit more specific. So the cool thing in the FMS is like, as you go through the order, things keep popping up. So, an example is if someone's right hip is doing some weird thing in the squat, that right hip thing is probably going to show up in the hurdle step, the inline lunge, and then again in the active straight leg raise, probably in the rotary stability test, and it's just going to keep popping up. So now you see this um, pattern, and now you kind of know where to go. So, everything. Works in harmony in this um, screen, and I think that's where this should be kind of the gold standard. They work upon each other, right? So, the other thing um, that the FMS has is a scoring system. So, if you look at how the FMS scores, a three is like a perfect, a two is that the person can do it, one is that they could barely do it with a lot of compensations in the movement pattern itself, and um, a zero is if they couldn't do it or if pain was present. So for me when I first started with the um, FMS as a coach, I found that I was way too obsessed with the numbers. I was Also telling clients that, hey, this was a two, but you want to aim for a three, and blah, blah, blah. This is another reason why people will uh, debate the FMS as a scoring system. So when I look at the scoring system nowadays, I don't score. I just write down, can they do it, yes or no, right? So it's scored out of 21, and if you had 14 Out of 21, you basically pass, you're like good to go, you don't have the risk of injury. Anything below 14, you're basically like a walking, ticking time bomb in the eyes of the FMS. In my opinion, I look at the quality of the movement. So I don't score, I just go, yep, they could do it, or yep, they did an amazing job, or I'll write down notes for each movement pattern. So I think I'm gonna end it there because that was a lot of information, and I'm going to do a part two to this where we break down the big three and give a chance for all of you guys to digest this information. Hopefully this was beneficial. I know it got a little bit science and everything like that, but this is the stuff I really, really enjoy, and I feel like everyone should know a little bit about their bodies and how they move. Um, so if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Thank you for listening to me ramble. You guys are amazing. Share, 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 share this podcast with your friends and family. Give me a five-star review on anything. Hit the show notes. Add me on Facebook. I'm going to say what's up, and thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are awesome. What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and this is going to be another edition where we kind of do kind of like a presentation style of, you know, the podcast vlog that I've been doing. And for those who are just listening, I highly recommend you hit the show notes and um, watch this episode because we're going to go through a couple videos and... um, kind of demonstrate certain things but if you're one of those people who likes to listen i'll try to be descriptive and if you haven't done so already subscribe to my youtube channel i've been pumping out a lot of more video based content and i think that's where you know this next year i'm kind of I'm going to put more effort into it, and a lot of you have been really enjoying my episodes that I've been kind of compiling together, doing a quick little summary in the beginning on certain topics, and uh, I'm going to continue doing that because I have close to 500 episodes now and, you know, have spoken about certain topics once or twice, so it kind of makes sense to kind of put all the information into one little section. Um, So. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, uh, which is also going to be linked in the show notes. So today what we're going to talk about is why assessments are important. So when I hear uh, people going to other trainers or fitness professionals and they pay them to give them a program or train them one-on-one, tandem, group setting, whatever it is, it makes... Sense to me at least that you know you kind of need a baseline of where, um, you know, you as a client is starting at. And if you're a trainer listening to this and you don't do assessments to all of the people you train, um, you're kind of giving them a a disservice because you know you can create this perfect program that you've created that worked great for you and some other people that you've trained, but you know what you might get a few people that are not, you know, built like you. They don't move that great. And sooner or later down the road of that program, something's not going to feel right. Maybe something will flare something up. Someone's shoulder might hurt. And you're kind of left to hoping for the best. So I'm going to go through... Uh, a bunch of my assessments that I do, and it's actually in my book. So this is going to be kind of like a preview to the assessment in my book and, you know, a couple things that I look for. And even before I get started, like, even before I um, do the assessment, sorry, I'm losing track, um, I ask a lot about, like, medical history because it all will um, come up in the assessment and rather than figuring it out and you know just seeing what i see it's always good to know beforehand if someone had an injury car accident or something because if i know that you tore your acl 10 years ago then most likely certain things in the gym and in the assessment that knee thing is going to pop up over and over again so It's always good to have those things. So if you're a trainer that doesn't even ask those types of questions before you start, again, please do so. Um, And if you're a client that's training with a trainer and that's never been brought up, then it's time to find another trainer. But um, we're going to kind of go through a bunch of assessments that I do. Um, I'm going to share my screen and uh, showcase... Um, all of those. So, without further ado, I need to move this stuff. I'm gonna make myself a little bit bigger. Come on, come on. I apologize. I feel like I use Zoom all the freaking time, and somehow I still find myself like, how do I do this again? Anyway, um, squat assessment. So, one of the things I use quite a bit is this base the wall squad. So, what we're gonna see here pretty quickly. Well, look at me with my short hair. Um, so, number one, we're getting about four inches away from the wall, and that's on purpose. I do that across the board. Again, these assessments I'm gonna show you, they're not, you know, the end all be all there's so many ways to skin a a skin a cat as they say um these are just really basic ones where i physically don't have to be there to see the quality of um certain movement patterns and you know when i train people online um this is the kind of stuff i'll do because it's really really easy and it doesn't require a lot of equipment and you know it's encompasses a lot of the stuff that I need to work on with somebody. So the face the wall squat is one of those ones that don't need equipment. It's super quick, super easy, and it doesn't require a lot of like coaching. It's just like face the wall, squat as low as you can. So in this case, my kind of standards are we're going to go four inches away from the wall, hands Uh, in contact with the wall and we're going to squat down as low as possible. So you can see here, I squat down as low as possible, get pretty low and then back up. So the key here is not allowing the person or your client to have their knees touch the wall or your face touching the wall or any other points of contact. Because if you do that one, you're cheating and it's not going to give you true results of the Squat test. So essentially, what we're testing here is squat mechanics, obviously, but more importantly, we're looking at: Does your ankles have enough dorsiflexion? Does your body have enough stability when challenged in a squat position? Do your hips have adequate hip mobility? Does your knee joint move the way it should in a squat pattern? Does your body have enough thoracic extension? So what the hell does that all mean? Well, one, if I'm going to place a barbell on someone's back, they should be able to squat as low as I am in this video. If they can't and they kind of stop, let's see if I can cue it up. Here, before their face and their knees touch the wall, then they have no business back squatting. Other thing too is if the person doesn't, you know, at least get to, say, here to 90 degrees, and then most likely um, you have a lot of work to do in the sense of uh, hip mobility, thoracic extension, thoracic mobility, uh, ankle mobility, just all the major players when it comes to just everyday living. And most likely this person sits all day. And now I already have these, like, You know, points in my head, or you know, notes that I've written that I'm like, okay, this person needs more thoracic mobility, more hip mobility, maybe some stability work, maybe some basic core function. Got to look at those ankles and maybe the feet. So now I already have like a list out of this one assessment that I've done, and there's a lot more. I already have so many things I can start working with with this individual, from you know their soft tissue stuff from their uh, warm-up to maybe some, like, recovery exercises between, you know, not heavier lifts, but lifts that take a lot out of you. Maybe, you know, I want to work a goblet split squat to, one, challenge the stability that your core needs because your overhead squat against the wall was terrible. And uh, knowing that your T-spine mobility sucks, maybe we add some sort of, you know, thoracic extension exercise like the frc cacao after a heavy set of split squats boom that makes it really specific to you to the individual in front of me and not just like yeah we're gonna do barbell back squats and then rest for about two minutes and then do it again with shitty form because i don't do assessments you know what i mean like this is where things get really specific so uh let us get into i wonder if i just put in assessments i'm gonna Get all of them. See so if I was smart, I would put this all in a playlist. But um, so actually, the Wall Angel assessment. So when I see um, a terrible overhead squat, um, I'll go into other breakouts. So this this is what I mean. When I'm at a point in my career where. Someone books in with me for an assessment and if I have no idea where they're kind of coming from or if they're just like general people coming in for training, I'll start with a basic assessment. But a lot of times when I see something where I'm like, hey, that shoulder's doing something really weird, then I'm going to go into something called like breakouts where I will pull from my experience in my career – certain assessments I've learned over the years where it gives me a little bit more information. So a good example is this going to be this shoulder wall slide assessment or wall angel assessment that you might've heard of. Um, because, you know, in that overhead squat, the person was like not able to squat all the way down and you could tell like all this shit is tight. So I'm thinking, okay, thoracic extensions, number one, but what's going on with the shoulders? What if I challenge shoulder mobility and T-spine mobility to see if this person that can actually press overhead. So what we do here is have the feet out in front just a little bit, making sure my low back, shoulders and head are touching. And then I just do a simple like wall slide motion. I need to be able to keep in contact with my elbows and uh, wrists as I do that and not let my low back come off the wall. If my low back comes off the wall, that means one, I don't have the required shoulder mobility or the thoracic mobility, or um, enough stability through my core to one pin my um, rib cage down, and also probably some lat tightness, some Terry major um, Terry's major tightness. So I have no business um, doing any um, overhead stuff in this. So that's one overhead mobility assessment that I do. And then the other one that I do um, is checking lat length. Should have that here, perfect. And by the way, like all of these are on my YouTube page, so I highly recommend you go check it out. So similar setup, just like before. And uh, I wonder if this will look better. Yeah, it's gonna look better this way. Full screen, baby. We're going to reach the arms above the head, and you're aiming, uh, I messed it up, we're aiming for the thumbs to touch the wall behind. And as you can see, low back is completely in contact with the wall, chest is in uh, contact with the wall, and the head. If I can do all those things lifting above the head, then I'm clear to press overhead without any compensation. If someone was, for example, lifting and they like get to here and now, Oh, by the way, look at that cat. <laughs> I haven't worn this shirt in so long and I think I should need, I need to bring it back anyway. Um, if I lost contact, then I got some issues and most likely that individual that we're making up in our head from our overhead assessment, uh, overhead squat assessment against the wall that, Um, didn't go all the way down before stuff started falling apart. It's probably going to end up looking like this with compensations to the low back and everything like that. So now we have three things that we've tested, and now I already have my list growing. So now I know this person shouldn't be pressing overhead. So we're going to be working on shoulder mobility. We're going to be working on shoulder stability because most of the time when shoulders are not mobile, their stability is for shit, and most likely they're, shoulder blade does not move. It's probably stuck and gunky. And when I try to get people doing scapular push-ups, it looks super awkward and weird. So that would be literally some of the exercises I would put in, like some sort of scapular control, scapular cars, uh, scapular push-ups, um, probably bent uh leg pullovers, um, kettlebell arm bar. So now like, I like I've three things. I already have this long list of stuff. Look at how specific this is getting. Now imagine if any time you went to a gym and you hired a trainer and they did a thorough assessment and they know exactly what you need to be doing, imagine how much faster you're gonna get to your goals. This is what I do on a daily basis. Every single person that comes in, I go through such a thorough assessment so they can get to their goals faster. Like that's what everyone wants in this day and age, like look at Amazon, you get angry if you buy a product and it does not have prime attached to it. You get literally pissed off. It like ruins your day. So it's our job as fitness professionals to figure out ways to get to your goal faster. So if you are at this point at all seeing a trainer that's never done an assessment on you, you need to rethink. Um, who you're seeing on a weekly basis because you're probably not going to get to your goals. Anyway, tangent over, let's uh, move on. So now we know this person does not, oh, how do I move this out of the way? Come on. Um, doesn't move overhead that great. Let's also now test thoracic rotation. Um there you go, T spine mobility. So now we know thoracic extension sucks, and we should also test rotation because most likely, when someone's thoracic extension does not move right, the rotation sucks. So, in this case, how I have this set up is I'm sitting on a box on an angle on purpose. So, if you think of this little foam pad as your midline, and you measured out the angle between the box and this midline, it's exactly 45 degrees. Ideally, you want to have at least uh, 45 degrees of right rotation, left rotation. And an easy way to spot this, and any time I do this online with somebody, and they're like, for example, filming it and sending it to me, then um, what you're looking for is these elbows to be in line with this. box here, and you do the same thing for the other side, making sure you're at least in line. If not, then we need to work on uh, thoracic rotation. Um, another way to, for this to be a little bit easier to see, imagine if I had a dowel, um, put across my shoulders kind of like a front rack position or like a front squat, and then rotate, then I'll give you a clear image. But. Say again with this example, this person is tight in their thoracic extension, then most likely they have restriction with rotation. So now I need to think of how to utilize more rotational exercises to improve that mobility. So a lot of open books, T-spine rotations, things like that, T-spine cars will help. But we're kind of working our way from the top down. If, this is the biggest thing. When you look at the statistics of low back pain, it's like one out of three people. It's probably now one out of two. A lot of times when you find those people that have low back pain and they test, um, if you test them for any kind of thoracic mobility, they're terrible at it. So now this is how it is. Your T-spine, which is the thoracic spine here up top, if that doesn't move the way it should, then guess what's going to compensate for it? Lumbar spine. So, when you look at the biomechanics of our spine, our thoracic spine can rotate. It's meant to move. Your lumbar spine is not meant for motion, constant motion. It's meant for stability. And if you take a joint that's meant to stabilize and like crank on it constantly because you can't use this stuff up top, then that low back's not going to be very happy. You know what I mean? Now, What else have we got for our assessments? I wonder if I just put in hip internal rotation. This is where things get fun. What am I doing? What am I doing? Bear with me. Now it looks like I don't even know how to use YouTube. So hip internal rotation. If you don't know these terms, your hip can do two motions. Well, it can do more motions. But in this case, we're checking internal rotation. So taking my um, femur and turning it inwards is internal rotation. And then external rotation would be turning it outwards. So here I'm demonstrating both right and left hip, how much internal rotation I have. And actually, in this video, my internal rotation sucks. I've actually done um, a before and after of me doing kin stretch five days a week for, I think it was like five months. And my internal rotation, um, based on the measurement of like the 24 here behind my foot and the logo here, like on both sides, they were... Above, So it's pretty cool seeing, you know, what I preach, putting to practice, actually working for myself. So I'm not just full of it. Um, But internal rotation is huge, 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 huge when it comes to um, anything hip related. So if you want to squat or deadlift or walk or run or squat, I said squat already, or lunge or anything single leg, you need adequate internal rotation of your hip. If you don't have it, then surprise, surprise, where do you think that motion is going to be made up from your low back or your knee might start speaking up in some painful ways uh, telling you that, you know, as you squat down because you don't have internal rotation, we're going to crank onto that knee joint and now things hurt. So, most likely the person that we are talking about um, from the very beginning that had a crappy squad probably doesn't have adequate hip internal rotation. Most of the time when I test people for hip internal rotation, um, they cramp right into like TFL and um, glute med, things like that. And a lot of times what that means is like your body doesn't produce that motion properly. So now when we physically test that one little bit your muscles don't even understand that motion that you're trying to create so they end up cramping to create almost like a protective mechanism because they're like oh i don't know if this is safe for us to do right so internal rotation is huge when it comes to that and we're also going to look at external so if you think about it actually let's see if i have it here Guess not. Sorry for, oh, maybe I don't have it. Guys, I feel so embarrassed that I don't have my own assessment to showcase. Oh, there you go. So similar to internal rotation, we're also in a seated position. And Now we're going wide with the legs and all we're doing is going to external rotation. So driving the ankle towards our midline. So when you squat or lunge, your hip has to go through both internal and external rotation in order to produce a motion. So imagine if your hips had a limitation in both, then there's going to be some sort of compensation. So we're going to look at most likely the low back, The knees might take a pounding. So if I already know this person from the very beginning in that overhead squat position wasn't squatting properly, I'm also going to be working their hips a lot. So one, I have to give them more hip external and internal rotation in order to move better, right? So in their program, uh, one, I'm going to focus on a lot of single leg stuff to help promote stability. I'm going to use a lot of kin stretch-like movements to help improve the mobility and even working some isometrics too in different positions to help those hips move better. So now we're going to kind of kick into high gear and go into the active straight leg raise. Active straight leg raise. Bear with me as we go through this. So very simply, the active straight leg raise, most people think it's a hamstring flexibility test and it looks like it. So as you see here, as I lift my leg, it's like, oh, this dude is trying to test hamstring flexibility. Yes and no. So what I'm actually looking for is if my opposite hip to this right leg that's up can stabilize with my core to actively lift that leg up. If I can get my ankle basically at 90 degrees, This is a pretty good representation of ninety degrees. If I can get it to that position, then deadlifting off the floor is not going to be a problem. But say like our guy from the beginning gets to about here before you see this knee pop off the ground completely, that foot rolling over, like the chest is arched and everything like that then the person does not have the prerequisites in order to deadlift off the floor. You do not understand how many times I've had someone come in that's had low back pain, that's an avid weightlifter, and I test them on their active straight leg raise. It looks terrible. They don't have the prerequisites. And I ask, do you deadlift? They're like, oh, all the time. I've hit a plateau. I can't get heavier. And every time I try to go heavier, my back hurts. And and I'm just like... Thank God you are coming to see me because now I know exactly what to do. From just this one motion, like a pretty thorough exam, like a assessment um, with these motions, like 15 minutes done, and I already have this long list. So if you kind of recall all the stuff that we went over, we already have so many things that we can work on to put into your program, your warm up to your homework, and now we're actually going to spend more time doing the things that work well with your body compared to, say, deadlifting off the floor constantly and taking time off the gym and wondering what the hell, why am I going to chiro and physio all the time because my back is flaring up, nothing's working, right? The last thing I want to get into, because I don't want to over-talk or ramble like crazy, Um We're gonna look at the spine. Hmm. wonder if it's under cat-camel. Random thing, is it cat-camel or cat-cow? You tell me. <laughs> I've put this video up before, but I do this with every single person to see if they can actually segment their spine. So I'm going to move my little self here. So if you look at my spine, I can move it one vertebrae at a time. And that's what I ask the person I'm working with to try to do. A lot of times, and we we spoke about hinge points, they'll tend to move through this TL junction. That becomes hypermobile and, you know, low back gets stiff and upper back gets stiff. So if you're an individual that sits on their butt all day at their desk, your lumbar spine is going to be – oh, see, look at that. might be a hinge point. You guys should watch that. Um, Yeah, if you're an individual that tends to sit all day, that lumbar spine is going to be jammed up, and that thoracic spine is going to be jammed up. That same person that we did the assessment in the very beginning that we imagined – had a terrible squat, so we put him in, put him or her into this, and voila, tight lumbar spine, locked up T spine, and again lots of motion through here, and they also have tight hips, tight thoracic spine, and again low back always hurts. Who would have thought? So I now have like lowest hanging fruit that I need to um, get through, and. Imagine if I gave someone, like, just a little bit more um, freedom in the lumbar spine, just a little bit more movement through their thoracic spine, a little bit more movement through their hips and their shoulders. Would they feel better? 100% they would. 100% they would. Now, I'm going to end it there because, you know, I can talk for ever about this, and I'll probably maybe put together uh, a series of assessments um, together um, for one of my future episodes, but I think this is a good starting point, and these are some of the things that you can just do on your own, and yeah, I kind of skimmed through a lot of these really quickly, but number one, you have something to look forward to for my book. Number two, um, you can find these videos on my YouTube channel, which is another reason why you should subscribe. Number three, um, if you look at Episode 460, if you want a little bit more in-depth of hinge points and what they are and how they influence exercise, highly recommend you watch that. And again, I've made a playlist for all my Cut the Shit, Get Fit uh, vlog videos that we're doing right now, so you can watch those. Um, But this gives you so much information of what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And I think that is the biggest thing that so many people are missing in their programs is proper training that's built around their anatomy like if your body doesn't move the way it should and you're trying to do an exercise or require certain movements of your body that can't do it then you're going to hit the fucking wall with your body eventually and time and time and time again i try to explain that on my show and to people Sometimes they listen. Sometimes they're like, well, I just want to bench press. It's like, well, your shoulders and upper back are super tight. So the last thing you should be doing is that. But that's just my opinion. But the people that I've worked with have seen huge improvements in quality of life, um, their lifts, their strength, weight loss, fat loss, you name it. If they just take the time to actually get a thorough assessment to know what to do and what not to do. Um, So I'm going to leave it there. Hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. Um, Hit the show notes, add me on Facebook, add me on Instagram. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Keep an eye out for my book that's going to be coming out soon. And that is it for me. Uh, Until next time, you guys, you are amazing. And I need to figure out how to stop this thing. Um, Until next time, you guys crush this week. You guys are the best. Until next time.